This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got a ton of stuff from old comic books, new comic books, all the major sporting leagues, signed wrestling memorabilia, old WWF magazines, anything you want, they have it there. So please check them out at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA Jam, Resident Evil, Silent Hill 2, and so many others. Everything you see on their website is available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs anything you need or want it is there but the easiest thing the freest thing the best thing to do to support the show each and every week is rate subscribe review on all major platforms most specifically apple Podcasts, tune in soundcloud spotify and iHeartRadio. so this week's guest is a former pro wrestler turned referee that you may have seen in such promotions as wcw smoky mountain wrestling tna and wwe to name just a few from the legendary Armstrong wrestling family, Scott Armstrong. Hey, what's up, Steve? How you doing, man? Appreciate you having me on. No, thank you, sir. I'm I am humbled. I am honored to have you here today, my friend. Like I said, you go all the way back, Smoky Mountain. That's old school. WCW now is considered old school to me. I grew up on that, so now I feel. I shouldn't say I feel old, but I'm starting to get up there. So, oh man, like I usually ask like the wrestlers who come on the show, how'd you get into the business? But obviously I assume everyone knows your father was Bullet Bob. You're the eldest of uh, your siblings. So when did you figure out that you wanted to be in wrestling? And when did you get smartened up to the business? Because back then everything was kayfabe, right? That's, yes, very true. Very true. I can remember... Um 
So, so as far back as I can remember life, my dad was a wrestler. Right. And, you know, and that's about a long time ago. So, um, back in those days, you know, there was only three channels, uh, on TV. Wow. And, uh, and so wrestling, there was only one hour of wrestling in the entire week on all the channels, just one hour. Crazy. And so he would, uh, you know, he was, uh, uh, the babe, the big baby face in the South and, he had a really, really um, good following, and he was. Um, it's funny because when I look back at old pictures of him, you can see the um, how Elvis uh, kind of helped his career because Elvis oh. had the sideburns. My dad, when he was young, had the sideburns. Right. The difference was my dad was into um, powerlifting mm. at, at that time, and so. Um, but for me watching him on television and him taking us to the occasional live event which way back in those days there weren't big arenas there were skating rinks and stuff like that and that's where they would have their uh their live events or their house shows so to speak uh they did have like the atlanta city auditorium but he would take us uh when we were kids we'd get to go every once in a while not very often and uh i just always wanted to do it i mean i was the only brother that growing up constantly said i want to do this really but i was oh yeah yeah no brad never even talked about it <laughs> and uh and brad uh, when he was gosh i think 21 i think when he turned 21 okay uh, is when he started all of a sudden he just my dad said yeah brad's gonna be my tag team partner <laughs> we all thought it was a joke and sure enough, he, he was his tag team partner. Wow, and, and so it just worked out. I, I just always wanted to do it. And in high school, I was, you know, uh, six foot and a buck 50 soaking wet and just skinny. And all my buddies uh, would laugh at me and say, oh, yeah, your dad's a big wrestler. And you're, uh, you know, look like a, a piece of spaghetti. And sure. uh, it, it, it did nothing but motivate me. I never stopped wanting to do it. And then... Uh, as far as getting smartened up, uh, I can remember being a teenager. Because just like you said, back in those days, oh, you if you got caught smartening somebody up, then you'd get fired. Right. And, uh, you know, in the ter- territory days. And so, uh, but even around our house, uh, we heard the word kayfabe a million times okay. and never knew what it meant. <laughs> and we heard it all the time, all the time. That's hilarious. And, and it was mostly when we walked into the room and my dad or, or even my mom would say, Kayfabe, my mom, uh, she knew nothing about wrestling. Right. <laughs> even later in life, she didn't know anything about wrestling. She just had a bunch of wrestlers as family. And so uh, I just um, I can remember being a teenager and, and walking into a, a locker room. And there was uh, Joe LaDuke and, and Norvell Austin and, and Dennis Condry and all, wow. all these top guys at the time. And yeah. walking and, and somebody saying, hey, Kayfabe. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. Well, they said that in my house. Mm. All the, I mean, you know, they say it all the time. Right. And I I still was too stupid to realize <laughs> that I'm the, I'm the one they're Kayfabe. Right. <laughs> it was awesome, man. Um, but that's, you know, later, as time went on, um, when I got... When I got the most smartened up about this business, mm-hmm. honestly, when Brad started wrestling, because okay. I can remember saying, hey, man, because he, he and my father had worked against the um, and Sika, the okay. Samoans. Yep. I can remember saying, man, those dudes are so big. Uh, and Brad was, you know, 
20 or 21 rather and and saying hey man are you okay and he said all those dudes take care of me man they treat me like i'm their son they do and and all of a sudden the world just opened up to me wait what (laughs) (laughs) and so i had to do it man i i went i bought wrestling boots and uh my dad, I'll never forget, he came home and I had him on. I, I got him from uh, B&A Bill Ash. Uh, oh, okay. His dad uh, made him at the time. And I remember putting those boots on because I wanted to break them in so that if I ever had to wrestle, uh, I would they would be ready. And I remember my dad walking in the door and going, what are those? And I had already had S.A. put on the sides. I mean, I was, I was forecasting, man. I wanted to do it. And he said, what are those? He said, who bought those? And I said, I did. He went... Well, why? Because at the time I was working at a bank and I was, you know, I, gotcha. he, he said, oh, son, you don't want to do this. You, mm. you bank industry, you're going to do good. I was in college and, and I said, right. I don't want to do that, man. I want to do this. <laughs> so anyway, as you can tell, you know, 40 years later, it ended up working out a little bit. <laughs> oh, my God. No kidding. right? And again, having three other brothers in the business, too. How cool was that to be able Again, back then, to have someone that you could trust in the business. Yeah, it, it, look, we we were all really blessed uh, to have each other because our family was really super tight. And uh, I just thank God there were no cell phones back in the day because we would stop it. You know, it, we'd stop at a gas station. Right. People would come running up going, oh my, because they'd see the whole family on TV. Gotcha. And there we are all getting out of a car together. Yeah. They'd come running up. And, and there was no selfies. There was, it, was, it would be, hey, will you sign this? And you'd just sign your name and we'd get back in the car and go. Right. But there were no, uh, you know, no photos, no no anything. Not to mention the craziness of, of us being us. <laughs> right. We didn't need any of that on cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, my goodness. So how long did it take in order for you to get to WCW? So how, how was the progression to get there? So I started 1983 back in the territory days, okay. and uh, it was southeastern wrestling, and it was the Gulf Coast and uh, Lower Alabama, and then uh, then they changed the name of it to Continental Championship Wrestling, oh, okay. and so I did that until probably I want to say like 80, 89 or ninety or something like that, and then I uh, was fortunate enough to get a, a shot to go to Japan for. About a month and came back and Cornette was in the process of, of starting to put together uh, Smoky Mountain and and he said asked me he said hey would you want to uh, be a part of this and I, I of course I would, I would love to and because it was still you know when you think about it it was like the last territory you know what I mean it's of, true of the and so and he laid out what he wanted to do and and I just said yeah look he could have said uh, paint you green and call you poopy pie. It didn't matter to me. I just wanted to be. I just wanted to wrestle. And so uh, I said yes. And then I had a good little run there. Uh, and then uh, my brother Steve came in and we tag team and had another good little run. And and then uh, after that uh, was WCW. And that was uh, WCW. I'll never forget uh, Jody Hamilton, one of the original assassins back in the day. Uh, Nick Pat. Dad, he, uh, I called him because he was getting the enhancement talent for WCW, oh. and I called him and said, "Hey, uh, do you have anything?" Or you know, I, and he said, "Oh no, Scott, they're they're going to beat you in five minutes on TV, <laughs> and you know, you 
you have a family name. And I, I told him straight up, said, Jody, I got, I got two small kids and those two small kids want to eat and they don't care what I do to feed them. They just want to eat. So I don't, I don't have an ego about getting beat on TV. I don't care about any of that. Sure. I just want to wrestle. And, and, uh, and I, he said, okay. He said, I hate to do it, but uh, okay. And so that led to about seven years with wow. WCW. I had a really good, um, really good run there. I mean, all my brothers, Brad had been there for a long time right. and, and, uh, in and out. And then, you know, Brian, when he started uh, road dog, when he started, he came in for a little bit mm-hmm. and then, uh, other Steve came in and anyway, we all had really good, uh, good little times with WCW. And so, and, and through that, um, my brother Brad and I wrestled, uh, William Regal, Steve Regal and, and Triple H when he was just starting. And so we were in, uh, we had a little, a little tag run with those guys. And, and then fast forward, I end up working (laughs) with WWE. They bring me in as a referee and that lasted for a good little bit. And then one day, and, and I, you know, Triple H was just moving up, 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 up. Yep. One day I just went to him and said, hey, uh, I would really love to, you know, when the time comes and you're done with me being in front of the camera, I'd love to be a producer for the show right. and learn behind the camera. And, man, it, it was like two years later. And he came to me and said, wow. Are you about ready? And I said, hey, man, I'm sitting on ready. He said, go buy some suits. So I, <laughs> I went and bought, bought some suits. And and then I had a, a good run um, there as a producer for the company. I mean, I really, a really good run, which led to, uh, you know, then the pandemic hit yeah. and uh, you furloughed and then mm-hmm. hired back and then had another good year and a half down at NXT as a producer there. And, uh, man, it was just a really, you know, it's funny you take 40 years and here we've just talked about it in five minutes you know what i mean it's right that transition <laughs> it was a lot of my uh, goodness well but no i gotta break this down because again you jump from so many things like in smoky mountain was that where you were the dixie dynamite yes yes and that was a that was uh you know Cornette, <laughs> please uh, me, i immediately told him i said hey look i I don't want to do the uh, dick D hard of dick. I, I said, I don't want to do all that. That's right. very offensive. Said, no, it's not like that. You're not promoting that. He said, you're going to be a character named Dixie dynamite. He said, it's okay. nothing to do with any of that stuff. And I went, uh, I mean, look, it was his character. And sure. I said, okay, I'll do it. And then, um, you know, I'd get, I'd usually get wins on TV and then either like open the show on live events and, and, go 15 minute time limit draw or either, uh, you know, get a win because it was a total kids gimmick. I mean, I'd Got come you. out with sparklers right. and, uh, and, and uh, the funny thing is nobody really knew who I was because That's I had awesome. been uh, off TV. I mean, you know, in, in uh, Tennessee and Virginia and right. uh, in West Virginia, I, they didn't know me up there. They knew my dad very well, of but course. they didn't know me. And so, to come in and and wear a mask and it was I had a good time and it, and you know again it was a kids gimmick they loved kids loved it and it, it helped with the demographic of what was coming in for the uh, you know buying tickets for the live events sure. you want you want the ladies you want uh, the men I mean and and that's um, I was the appeal to the kids wearing that mask 
funny no it is and again that's one of the like a lot of people say oh without the internet people wouldn't be able to explode and whatever but look at some of the downfalls of having the internet you can't pull off stuff like this like you used to do back in the day where you could go from territory to territory where people wouldn't know you or country to country so to speak right very true very true and and look it it was a lot of fun uh just traveling you know uh smoky mountain because nobody I could get out of the car with my dad, and nobody had a clue who I was. See? They, they awesome. oh, that's is that Bob's son? It <laughs> would be like that, and so they didn't realize when it was time to do Dixie D. He would, he, my dad would drop me off like they would if the heels maybe babyface had to travel together. Right. He'd always drop the heel off, or they'd drop you off like a block away. And my dad would do the same thing, and I'd get out. I had a a, a baseball cap that had like a a mask thing over it with two eye holes cut out, <laughs> and I'd put that. I'd be walking down the street. I know people thought, what is this guy's going to rob the liquor store? Right? <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. This is, this is why wrestling's the best, man. And then even speaking, okay, one thing I remember about WCW that always sticks out in my mind was that World War Three event with the three rings, which you were involved in as well. Like, how did all that come? Because to, to me, as a child watching that, one ring was enough. But to have three rings like at the time, that just blew my mind. It, it was crazy, and we all knew before we went out there that, um, look, when you when you walk out there anyway uh, and get in the ring, you always feel like everybody's looking at you. Right. But there was uh, there was a lot more of a relaxed atmosphere because now there were sixty people in that battle royal, sixty wrestlers, That's and it crazy. took the pressure off because you knew uh, probably nobody's looking at me. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> And right before we walk out, Paul Orndorff at the time was a okay. God rest his soul. Paul's a good a good man. Um, he he treated me and my brothers like we were his sons, yes. and and uh, he is missed. Uh, but he right before he walked out, he said he he was one of the uh, producers of the show at okay. that time, and and he came and said, "Hey, are you okay with getting stretchered out?" <laughs> and I started laughing, and he said, "No, I'm serious." Oh, and no. I went, I said, I said, Paul, anything for you. And uh, okay. he said, okay, thanks. That's all he said. Right. Well, during the battle, here he comes, grabs me, knocks, punches me, and then gives me a pile driver. And he said, and he rolls me, I stretch, you'll be here any minute. <laughs> and I realized then, oh, this is what he meant by getting stretchered That's out. That's hilarious. <laughs> sure enough, they bring me out. I'll never forget that because I, uh-huh. I get to the back and, and uh, you know, back then, Everybody had a cell phone, but they weren't like now where you can just exactly. FaceTime and say, hey, I'm good. And there's my family watching at home. Oh. And I didn't I didn't call immediately. <laughs> you know, the match is still going. I talked to the boys and, and uh, oh, I, you know, it was fun because there's 60 people out there. Right. And, and so anyway, I never forget calling home and my wife going, are you in the hospital? Oh, my God. She bought into the whole thing. <laughs> and, and she Love was it. smart. She thought. But, uh, yeah, it was, dude, it was such a, uh, look, when you know going in that you're enhancement and you're there to get the people over that are going to sell the tickets, mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure off of you. There really is. Right. A lot of guys put the pressure on themselves going, oh, I'm getting beat on t-. Their ego takes over uh, instead of uh, the idea of having a job and doing what you love. And. I always knew if I was getting a paycheck from doing what I loved, man, that, isn't that a dream come true in right. life, right? And so that's the way I looked at it. And so um, 
I just, I just know some guys would come in there and they'd say, man, they beat me on TV every week. And I've always said the same thing. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know what? I've never walked into the bank where the teller said, I can't cash this check from Ted Turner because you lost on TV this week. That's hilarious. I said, no, there's never said that. And it puts it kind of in perspective that, hey, man, it's just a work. And all the people that are dogging you for saying, for doing the job on TV, mm-hmm. all the armchair quarterbacks, oh, he gets beat all the time. They just wish they could do what you do. You know, and that's exactly. the truth, man. I, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And, uh, man, I met some uh, – look, I've got great friends in this business, and and, and I'm so blessed. I, uh, You know, people go, man, when you look back, don't you – go, well, I should have done this, I should have. I said, you can be that guy, or you can be the guy that goes, man, I rode a camel in front of the Egyptian pyramids. I walked into castles in in England. I, I mean, I did things that people only dream of, and I did it because of the wrestling business. Right. And thankful for that, man. I, I am. And I had a really good time doing it. And I was able to, you know... Raise two kids, put them both through college, and, awesome. and uh, I'm still married to the same crazy woman for knocking on the door 37 years, and uh, blessed, man. I'm blessed. Now, I always wanted to know this, being a son of a wrestler, do you think it hindered you or it helped your career? Oh, I think it helped. I, okay. I do. And uh, hey, let me tell you, my, the very first match I ever had, okay. I'll go, I go to my dad right before the match, and I, I mean, needless to say, a nervous wreck. Um, it's in Dothan, Alabama, Houston County Farm Show. There's probably about 4,000 people there. It's a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. The TV was strong in that town. And I go to my dad and go, okay, dad, in, anything, you got anything for me? And he, he says, yeah, stand on the corner and watch your brother. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about watch Brad. Because right. natural, man, and he had been doing it. He started about, I want to say about two years before me. Okay. And... So my first match was tag teaming with him, and uh, and that's what I did. I stood in the corner and watched him. Of course, you know, it didn't matter at the time. I forgot everything by the time the match was over. <laughs> oh, but that... he was great to learn from, man, great to learn from. Oh, again, I could only imagine, like I said, the camaraderie between you guys would be awesome. And Okay, so what was your official last match then? Uh, Wrestling-wise? Yes. Uh, man, I, as far as the uh, you know the bigger time goes, I couldn't even begin to tell you. As wow. far as uh, I can tell you, I was forty two years old, and uh, WCW when when WCW was taken over by Vince, mm-hmm. um, they they took three referee. I just I'd only been refereeing with WCW for about nine months. Oh wow! And, okay, and at WCW so. Terry Taylor was the booker at the time, and he takes me aside. I love Terry Taylor; been a family friend for oh my god, I don't know thirty something years. Wow. And he takes me aside and says, "Hey, um, we're not going to renew your contract." Mm-hmm. And so that was going to be the end of my seven years. And I, I said, "He said, so you have a couple options. Do you want to um, keep coming to TV, and we'll just keep paying like we, we always have, or do you want us to just send you one lump sum and buy out your contract?" Well, dude, if you know anything about a wrestler, the last thing you want to do is send him one lump sum because <laughs> he will blow the shit out of you. Right. <laughs> I said, I, he said, or you can sit at home for four months. We'll just keep, you know, sending your checks oh. the way they've always come. Yeah. Uh, and you 
start getting ready to, uh, you know, change your image or try to go some to events. And I said, yeah, you know what? Let me do that. So I sat at home for four months. The week before my last check comes, Nick Patrick calls me, who was the head referee there in WCW. And he calls me and says, hey, uh, they're looking for another referee, and your name came up. And mm-hmm. I immediately I went, oh, no, dude, I'm a wrestler. I, he goes, he just starts laughing. He goes, you still think you got a couple of years left in you? And I, <laughs> look, I, I was already about to turn 40. And I said, uh, oh, yeah, for sure. He says, no, man, uh, I want you to think about this, Scott. Okay. He said, because you're, you're going to be 40 on your next birthday. Right. And I said, okay, well, needless to say, uh, I don't even sleep that night. Cause, because it's my future and I do have two small kids. And I, so I called it next day, called Terry. He said, if you want to do it, call Terry Taylor. So I called Terry and Terry says, yeah, we'll book you on uh, Halloween havoc. And they were doing it. I, I want to say in Vegas and I'm not positive of that, but anyway, so I get there and they put me in kind of a no brainer. It was cactus Jack and some, or, or uh, Mick Foley and somebody in a kill each other all over the building. Sure. Match, and which is for freeze kind of a no brainer. Yeah. And so, when it was over, I came back into the production truck. Now, keep in mind, Terry had told me about reinventing myself to okay. try to go to vets. I had bleached my hair as white as snow. Oh. I, I worked out every day, so I changed my body look. And, I mean, because now you're hungry, right? Sure. When you're When you're coasting, you're coasting. But when you're hungry, you work a little harder, and, and I'd worked harder, and... I walk into that production truck and Terry's trying to produce this pay-per-view and he goes, Scotty, what is it? And I said, dude, I got to know. I can't lay my head on my pillow. I got to know. Do you want me uh, to hire me or was this just a one-time thing? And he said, please tell me you'll do something with that hair and we'll, we'll hire you. And I said, okay, great. Well, so I'd only refereed for nine months and all of a sudden the company events uh, takes the company and they left. Uh, they only took three referees and they said I, they, I was too, they knew, you know, people knew me uh, as a wrestler and they didn't want that as a referee. And so, which is business, I get it. You know, heartbroken at the time, yes, because I really wanted the gig, but hey, it just didn't happen. And five years go by, uh, I worked on every indie show. I, could, I literally worked every weekend, oh, wow. every week. Okay. And I got a real job as a manager of a furniture store. Ooh. And, I would do that Monday through Friday, and then if I could get a Saturday and Sunday booking, I would do that too gotcha. every weekend. And and my life changed, dude. I was 45 years old, and uh, Umaga, yep. God rest well, he lives in Pensacola. I'm, I'm right now. I'm in Pensacola, and so mm-hmm. he um, he lived in Pensacola at the time, and he walked in that furniture store not having a clue that I worked there, and. And he said, what are you doing here, man? He said, there's no Armstrong supposed to be doing anything other than the wrestling business. What are you doing here? And we, we talked a little bit and laughed and he (laughs) said, uh, Hey man, I'm going to go back to work and tell him because he was with WWE at the time. And I said, no, I said, I'm good, dude. I'm 45 now. And I, uh, I've been home five years. So I'm doing homework with my kids. I'm having dinner uh, every night with them. And, and I'd never done that. I always been on the road and, he said, yeah, this just don't feel right, man. And so about a month later, he walks back in the furniture store and hands me, John Laurinaitis was the head guy at the time, and he hands me his phone number and says, wow. Johnny said, call him. And Johnny was on my Japan tour, and he was with WCW, so of I knew course. him. Yeah. Johnny, Johnny said, call him. 
and I went, oh, no, man, I, I'm good, dude. I start begging off. <laughs> You're still being hesitant. Wow. Yeah, he said, Scotty, at least call and feel it out and see what they say. Okay. And, geez, the rest is history, man. I made, I made wow. it to 60 years old. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I'm through now. But, I, I mean, I had a really, really positive, good run uh, with WWE. So, it was, uh, it, it, look, it was a lot of fun. WCW, uh, when I tell you uh, we had a crew, I mean, like, we would do Disney tapings. They did it mm-hmm. at Disney, and then they did it at Universal a little bit, right. too. Yeah. It was in Orlando. And so, uh, we would go down there for, like, 10 days and it would be 10 days of shooting three shows a day wow. those shows would bicycle you know on all the all the channels around the planet mm-hmm. and so and it, and it would be um we would all pop chris benoit uh, had a um a big denali i mean the big one and it would be uh me uh, my brothers mm-hmm. regal uh Eddie uh, Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero, yeah. uh, Jericho. Wow! And, and they, you know, we were we were all young, but those guys were really young at the time. Right. And we all pile. We would do the days <laughs> worth of tapings, and then all pile in that Denali. Wow! And, go, and uh, man, oh Lord, have mercy! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like you said, thank God, no cell phones. <laughs> oh, man. You don't even. <laughs> Uh, we had some good times, and and all those guys, man. Um, look, uh, Benoit, I know will always be remembered for what he did at the end of, of his life. Yep. But um, but that's not the guy I knew at all. I, I mean, it's just not. And so, um, you know, now I still talk to Regal. Uh, look, nice. Jericho, um, uh, Chavo. I mean. It, the minute I see any of them, even at this age, it's like we just got out of that car together. You that's know what awesome. I mean? the best, great friendships. Oh, my God. No, that's awesome. And I'm so glad Umaga came in that day and pulled you out of there because it's true. Like, 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 someone, like I said off the bat, you're one of, like, the legendary wrestling families. Like, there's... Like, a few of you guys out there that have, like, this core, like, you think of the Von Erichs, the Hearts, like, you know what I mean? You got Amaga's family, obviously, like, f- from Samoa, like, all these family, like, you should be in wrestling, like, you know what I mean? And I'm, it's, I'm so happy you went into it, and you made it all the way up, to as the senior ref of the WWE version of ECW. It was, uh, yeah, well... Right? So... They didn't have a big choice of people, so I... <laughs> <laughs> I got really lucky on that. Well, look, I I loved the business. I had done it already by the time by the time I'd gotten there. I've been around the business for like twenty. I mean, in the business for like twenty three years. Right. So I, I and I grasped the concept of nobody really looks at the referees. You know what I mean? Yeah. When a match is going on, you're watching the the action mm-hmm. and the offense of the guy doing the offensive moves you're not really paying attention to the ref. And um, they literally, when they brought me in, they said, hey, look, we think you can help these guys uh, in the ring. It's like on-the-job training as far help them as far as... Ah, uh, good point. Where's the camera? And, yeah. Uh, slow down and, and take a breath. Because that's something wrestlers just don't think about is breathing. Mm. Everybody... Well, it's a natural thing. No, you start thinking about what's going on and what you're doing next. And I got to get outside the ring. I got to go to the top rope. But you don't think about, hey, just just take one good breath. Because 
get taking a good breath in the middle of all that will get you a lot further down the road. And and I I did it all the time. I would tell them all, "Hey, are you breathing?" I, I'd be pointing right in their face and, "Hey, are you breathing?" <laughs> and they they'd snap, you know, they're like, "Wait, what?" And then they would realize, "Oh yeah, it's okay to take a wow. breath here." <laughs> no, but but that's all, and I think it's true. Like some referees should have that knowledge of being a wrestler, or at least be seasoned in there to help the younger guys. Because it's true, like, to me, the perfect ref is a ref that's not seen, but you know who he is, if that makes sense. Like, when I grew up watching wrestling, I knew every referee's name that was in the ring. But I never saw them during the match. Like, you know what I mean? Then, as it, then as it became PG, they sort of never mentioned the referee's names anymore, and it was just, like, a background thing. And yeah. now, like, you have some referees, like, uh, I had Jimmy Corderas on, and he thinks that a referee being too flamboyant is also too over the top. It shouldn't be about that. So where yeah, do you lie? Do you lie the same, as I said, with I, Jimmy? Yeah, I, I feel just like Jimmy. Um, so my very first match I ever wrestled, uh, refereed was in WCW, okay. and, I, and I went to Nick Patrick. Uh, like I'd done wrestling with my father, I went to Nick Patrick because I really respected uh, him as a human being, but his work. And uh, and I went to him and said, hey, if you got any last minute advice for me before I go out here? And he said, yeah, this will help you the rest of your career as far as a ref goes. Mm-hmm. Be invisible until it's time to be seen. And what he meant is, what, you know, once the action starts, just watch. Right. And, and don't create a bunch of motion. And then once they get locked up in the ropes – well, then it's time to be seen. That's when you step in and go, hey, come on, back it up, back it up. Sure. Once they're back into action, be, become invisible again. And so, look, that's it's easy to sit here and tell you that. <laughs> harder to to do it um, when you're first starting out. Uh, once I'd done it for a couple of years, I understood exactly what Nick was saying, and it became um, a lot easier to, to try to do that. And then uh, even when I had my little run down there at NXT, I was over all the um, referees here and uh, NXT UK, okay. and so and I, I preached that all the time. And I told I gave Nick Nick the props on all mm-hmm. that. I said this is what Nick Patrick told me, and true words as far as referees go have never been spoken. It, it wow. it's just so true. Um, here's the kicker: some referees, and I see it a lot on shows, um, try to make try to become part of the act. Mm-hmm tell you when i was wrestling if i had taken a huge bump off the top rope and and really um really really hurt my back not working but really hurt my back Mm -hmm. and i look over and i see a referee going oh oh making it about them when we got back to the locker room the guy i used to be not the guy i'm now the guy would have said hey let me talk to you over here i'd have goozled that son of a gun and told him to their face you ever do I'll headbutt you in the ring. I mean, to me, that's disrespectful to the guys that at any minute could end up wheelchair-bound or, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. People look at it as, oh, that's your job. You got, no, it just takes one bump and you're done for life. And uh, that's not the goal. The goal of a referee, in my opinion, should be uh, help with the match Mm -hmm. or if somebody does get hurt, stop everybody and cover them up or just do what you have to do to make it a great match. Right. But acting a fool, I, I just don't get that. I don't understand it. I, I know um, 
and uh, one organization specifically, they do a lot of that. Yep. Um, and when I see that, I think uh, it's not the referee's fault because somebody above them is allowing that to happen. Good point, too. At the end of the day, it falls back on management, right? The boss, sure. somebody has to go, hey, what are you doing? Uh, and if nobody does, hey, do six cartwheels. Nobody's going to say there's no. If there's no consequence, what does it matter? You know what I mean? I agree. So it's just um, I just have old school, different way of thinking. I, I feel like uh, there's no little boy on a Saturday afternoon mowing his yard and going, "Hey, Dad, guess what? The referees are in town tonight." <laughs> no ref has ever sold a ticket. So, but they will look up and go, Dad, Roman Reigns is in town. Let's go see Love him. And so I just, um, I don't know. Oh. I feel like a ref uh, needs to understand the role. And and that's when I was with uh, WWE and NXT, doing the NXT refs. That, that's what I preached is know your role. You know, Rock, you said know your role. Exactly. And it's true. It, it really is true. Know your role. Your role is to is to be the ref. No, so be a ref. <laughs> I, I I totally agree. I'm on the same page as you, my friend. But the one thing I do enjoy every so often is when the refs get involved in storylines, which you were involved in a few. And because everyone's speaking of him now, you're involved in the infamous Screwjob 2.0 CM Punk versus Undertaker. <laughs> so how was that getting back now? Again, now you know you have to be in the limelight. So did you tweak your personality as a ref to be a performer f- for all that? Well, yeah, you know, it's it's funny you, you because uh, at the time, uh, Vince didn't want any referees named ever. Do, do exactly. Say, and so we had become such a, we've just become the ref. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, um, the writers come to me and said, hey, we want to write you into the storyline. Are you okay with it? And I said, what are you going to call me? <laughs> That's a good point. We're going to call you Scott Armstrong. And I went, oh, okay. And they said, we'll talk about you were a wrestler at one time. I said, we'll talk about And I went, oh, okay, well, yeah, sure, whatever. Right. You know, whatever. Look, it's, it's all a show at the end of the day. Um, I used to say all the time, nobody walks into the building saying, you know what, this is going to be real. Every bit of this is going to be real. And nobody walks out saying, you know what, that was all real. So what you get in the middle from bell to the end of the night, it's just a lot of fun. So mm. whatever you write, you want me to, you know, wear, wear a hat and a cane. Okay. I'll do it. You know what I mean? It's um, part of the show. And so they said to the, you know, do the B Scott Armstrong and, and so do the Daniel Bryan thing. And I said, yeah, sure. And then the, you know, being a part of the authority for triple H and, right. and look, that was, a, that was fun. Um, I made the same money. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, but it was a lot of fun. You know, it was a good time. Um, I guess if there was going to be a drawback to any of it Mm -hmm. is now I did have a name on television. And so um, now, you know, we would, my wife and I on my off time when I was home in Pensacola, we'd go somewhere. Uh, People had kind of forgotten, oh, yeah, if if it was anything, they would say, Oh yeah, aren't you a wrestling WWE? But mm. that was it. You know, it had right. been a long time since I'd wrestled, and and so I'd kind of, um, you know, merged into being a normal human being sure. <laughs> uh, instead of part of the circus. And then when all that happened, I became part of the circus. You know what I mean? That people would come to us and go, "Hey, uh, you know, we'd be in a restaurant, and the manager would come up and go, oh, no. oh my God, 
Scott Armstrong. Yeah, I saw you Monday. Hey, can we take pictures? And I go, dude, I'm in the middle of eating. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. So uh, that was that. Look, if that's you know, fame is a double-edged sword. Yeah. And you always know but that. But there's a place and time for everything too, and that's what regular people—not not regular, but that's what every person should know. Like even if. You, even if you're not famous, you're not going to go up to someone while they're taking a piss in the stall and talk to them. So why would you ask them for an autograph or a picture, right? Right. right. That's, that's the way I felt, too. And it, it's funny because people, um, now that I'm older and I go do these, uh, you know, the independent shows and stuff, and people will come and go, hey, remember that match? You did so, and I I don't want to disrespect them and go, I, I really don't remember that. <laughs> but, but I also know... I love that dude, and and he said it best. Hey, do you ever think when the guy, the cable guy, comes in to hook up your cable, you go, "Hey, remember that time that you hooked up my cable?" And you, he said that dude's hooking up eight cables a day right? for a twenty-year career, and he's gonna. You go, remember that time? <laughs> and I just so started true. laughing. I said, "It's true. It, it is true." And I, I want to um, again. I, I don't want to disrespect anybody for saying that. Hey, thank you for remembering. Even who I am, I, I appreciate you taking an interest in my career. You know what I mean? That's that's awesome. But chances of me remembering, <laughs> chances of me remembering are very very slim. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And then also, you got to referee in a main event of WrestleMania. How many did you end up refereeing by the time it was said and done? Two. Two. I think, or I'm. You know what? The sad thing is, I'm not positive of that. Oh um, my god. <laughs> WrestleMania, I know that's sad, right? <laughs> WrestleMania, were, uh, they're just a horse of a different color, man. You you walk into that week, and and you've built towards it. You know, right. from January with um, with Royal Rumble. And, and I mean, well, really, you know, um, in uh, Survivor Series in, in November, and then you get to Royal Rumble, and then, and it just builds, and uh, like, with my family, I didn't, if we, if WWE ran Pensacola, then my family might come to the show, but they didn't get to come any other way. And, uh, I would use like during the year, I'd get so many sky miles through Delta. I would fly my family to every WrestleMania. And so that week, uh, that week is just crazy. I mean, and when I say crazy, I mean, uh, as far as an employee of the company, (laughs) it's not, uh, there's something every day, two or three times a day and it, it goes on all week. And, and so my, while my family would get to come to these, uh, you know, destination cities and have a good time, I didn't get to be with them, but until I got through at the end of the day and come back. So, uh, it was just nonstop. I can tell you this, the one that I vividly remember more than anything was, um, triple H and undertaker. And that, that match was, um, it was just surreal to be, you know, send the referee out first and you're in the ring and then they show the, 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 uh, you know, three minute package of oh, how this yes. match the came build up. into existence on yep. the giant screens all over the, the stadium mm-hmm. and you're in front of, you know, 75,000, 80,000, whatever it is, uh, people and you just stand there, um, just taking it all in. And I'll never forget the very first WrestleMania I ever did. Um, Shawn Michaels was standing in the, in the uh, gorilla position. And mm-hmm. Shawn looked at me and he said, he said, man, are you nervous? Cause he knew I'd been doing it for a hundred years. Sure. And I, I said, I am. And he said, 
is this your first mania? And I said, it is. And uh-huh. he said, do, do me one favor. You're going to go out there and no, no cameras are going to be on you. Get in the ring and just slowly turn in a circle and take a breath and take that in. Wow. Man, Ford Field, Detroit, I'll never wow. forget that moment as long as I live. And I, I, once I went down to NXT and started working, I'd yeah. see him every, you know, every, and exactly. I went to him and I said, dude, you, I know you won't remember this at all. But I'm, I'll remember it the rest of my life because I did exactly what he said. Wow. I just took a deep breath and started looking around and immediately went, I'm such a screw up. What did I do in my life to deserve a moment like this, man? I could not believe it. Just unreal. And then to end up, um, you know, years later, refereeing uh, Triple H and Undertaker, man, does a, does a WrestleMania main event get any bigger than that? Right. You know what I mean? Just huge. No kidding. So, yeah. It was awesome, man. It was, it was really awesome. My goodness. I love How about this? Did you ever ref any one of your brother's matches? Yes. Um, so, I don't know if you remember uh, my brother, uh, Road Dog and Billy uh-huh. uh, Gun. They had one last run uh, where they had a little run on TV, and then we went on a UK tour. Yes. And it was weeks in the uk mm-hmm. and so my brother billy were on that too so we were on the bus together every and nice. i literally went and, and asked i said hey i don't you know i'm sure it's a conflict of interest but and i referee my brother and billy uh on this tour and they said well we'll we'll give y'all we'll give them to you for a week and so i got to go to all these different cities and referee their match and it was just so fun because, you know, hey, look, like everybody else, I watched my brother and Billy uh, through the 90s, you know, early 90s. Exactly. Uh, doing their, oh, you didn't know, you better call somebody and all that <laughs> gaga and and watch Billy make those comebacks, man. Oh. And then you fast all those years later and there I am in the ring and uh, Billy had not lost one step, man. He could still make that comeback like a madman and, yeah. and make those people just believe it and um, and so it was really, and, and I was in there to see my brother do his legs and wagon, right. do, wagon do, you know what I mean? <laughs> Be him, right? right? And so it, it was, it was for me, uh, it was cool. It was very cool. And I'm very thankful for that week for sure. Oh my God. And I'm sure there's more leniency too when you're doing the house shows where you could have a little bit more fun during these matches, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because that, you know, once it was over, He'd grab me by the arm and do his legs and tell me, do your legs with me. And just, just stuff like that, that that you will never see on TV. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I I don't know why. The, well, I, I understand. But now even in today's age, I don't understand why they don't show more of those house shows, like in clips for like the network or something. Like uh, just as like a, a thing to throw up there. Because those are so much fun. And I find, I like as a child, I didn't like the house shows. I enjoy more of the TV glitz and glamour. But now, I'll go to a house show any day over, say, like a Raw or a SmackDown. Yeah, you you will literally, at a, at a house show, you will literally see the talent, and you'll see who they really are. Right? You know, on TV, they've got to do the formula, and I get that. Of course. And then on live, and you see them come out, and they can really enjoy themselves and have a good time, and perform, you know what I yes. mean? Yes. Show you what they're made of. 
Oh my god! So when you transitioned then to being a producer, like you said, first it was WWE and, and, and like on the main roster, and you went down to NXT. What was like some of your first assignments, and how hard was it to get a grasp of now being literally totally behind the camera? Uh, so it, it it was hard. Look, the hardest part of becoming a producer is realizing you're no longer one of the boys. Oh, you know what I mean. Even as an old man, um, I mean, they hired me. I was forty-five, right. so I was already an old. Man. It, almost all all the guys on the roster could have been my child. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. And so um, then I'm an old man, and and I'm starting to look around like, what is going on here, man? It's now I'm a producer, and you, you when you become a producer, the company first, company number one, gotcha. not the boys. When you're one of the boys. Uh, if something happens, you got their back. You, uh, oh, hey, come on, boss. Don't yeah. get too hot at him. I was a part of that. You try to help, but that's not what it's about. It's mm. about taking care of WWE, bar none. That took me a long time. Ah, okay. I was constantly reminded about it um, by John Laurinaitis. I mean, so many times. Hey, <laughs> Scotty, Scotty, what are you doing? And, you know, after a while of doing the same thing over and over and over, you finally... <laughs> you either get good at it or you get out one right. of the two and, and so um it, it got it got better and once you get better at that you become more a, of a of a producer where you can produce television mm-hmm. and um get the camera shots that you want and you know look when you're in the ring you just think about the camera with the red light on it but uh-huh. when you're not in the ring uh as but as a producer you have a headset on and you're literally saying um Oh, you know, you know, you know what's coming next. So you're trying to say, "Hey, get that, get that floor shot, get that camera on the floor. Here it comes, it's coming, it's coming." Mm. And the director can get it switched in time. Because my my goal um, was always to try to have the action look like it's coming right into your living room. Oh, and nice. um, look, it's cool to get the huge dives off the top if you can pull back and see that a human being diving from the top right? to buckle or. But I, I always felt like a wide shot was cooler looking than the camera on the floor seeing the guy jump because it's all on top of you. Oh. I, that was just my take. Some some producers didn't feel that way. Right. They wanted the they wanted it close, like like you were involved in the action. Gotcha. I wanted I wanted the viewer to go, oh my god, that's a human being jumping from that high <laughs> onto another. You know what I mean? Sure. Let's be real. The the bumps and the moves that these guys do. Anybody in real life that takes those kind of bumps, they're going to the hospital. They're calling Morgan and Morgan. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to do the whole uh, lawsuit no thing. And it, it's just the truth. And so, um, oh. I don't know. I, I have a huge respect. Of course, it's put food on my table, of my in life, and oh. my children's table, my wife's table. So, um, my grandson, uh, I mean, any, when he comes to my house, wrestling puts it on the table for him. You know what I mean? So, uh, I have a huge respect for the business and uh, definitely a huge respect for the boys and girls. <laughs> I now, don't leave them out. Did you notice a big difference from the main roster down to NXT in terms of how stuff was produced or even just how everything just worked? So, yes, because at NXT, everything's graded on a curve because um, they a lot of people are just coming in. And true, yeah. a lot of a lot of people got hired that have never watched wrestling, but they were great. They were a great star. So they bring the guy, they hire him to see if he'll be great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's there's um, beautiful women that are hired 
because they're beautiful yeah. and but they're athletic mm-hmm. and so now can you train them look what what we do looks easy on monday night or friday night smackdown it all looks easy and it's because the people doing it are great at it they make it look easy yep. but the reality is it's not easy <laughs> and and it's timing and it's um you know any if you tell me scott i need you to hit the ropes three times and then run and hit the turnbuckle a couple of times well i can do that fairly flawlessly a lot slower now than i used to but i can but <laughs> sure. and but if you ask once you add another human being to the element well now could it get messed up it could now make it a tag team match now you've got three other people coming in with scott to do the same stuff so there's a lot of stuff that comes into play and when you see a tag team match that is just flawless on television i, I always have a great appreciation for that because i think right. man that's that's a referee and four dudes and they are tearing it up and timing and and uh camera work and i, I mean it's just a whole i'll never forget beth phoenix when she was put into the hall of fame mm-hmm. uh one of the lines she said was hey i'm thankful to be here but it takes a village and that just stood out to me because it does and nobody's a star by themselves it does take a village the camera people director the producers in the truck i mean uh the build up to everything the people that would that would be in stanford that were putting the packages together that were going to air right before the big match. i mm-hmm. mean those people wrote they're just seeing what's sent back to the studio mm-hmm. and and they have to have that feel of it to to make it look it, it does take a village it really does of I, I was just glad to be one of the villagers <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome to hear okay how about this what was the, what's the hardest type of match for you to ref uh well I, i'll tell you the one that i hated the most okay. was was the um last man standing oh. because you got to count to nine about ten times. Okay. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> That's true. And sometimes the the talent might not want the they might take a huge bump and not want to count right there. Oh. And, and I, or count, and they may say no, 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 because they're coming back up because they have something else lined up. Right. I didn't always go to the talent and and say, hey, tell me your entire match. Okay. Because I didn't want to. I didn't want to screw that up. Mm. You know what I mean? I wanted the flow and I wanted as a referee to look like I was refereeing a match exactly. that I didn't, but you come off. I always felt like you came off better as a real referee. If you didn't know, Oh, I know this is coming. So I'll just step over here conveniently or <laughs> right. You know, it, I just felt like there was more, it was more organic mm-hmm. if I didn't know all the stuff. And so, but those matches, my God, man, <laughs> you have to, you'd have to count, uh, you know, you, at the beginning of the match, you're counting to four or five and they're getting up, but man, the deeper the match goes now, you count to nine almost every time. And, ah, uh, just, and, and it's in the ring. It's out of the ring. It's all over. Hey man, give me a 15 minute match in the ring. <laughs> you got. Hey, I'll tell you one of the best matches I ever refereed. Okay. And it was a live event, mm-hmm. and it was when they had brought me in for uh, ECW. Okay. And it was uh, Mike Knox. Yep. I don't know if you remember of Mike course Knox. Of course I do, yeah. Uh, CM Punk. Oh. And I had him for like a week, and mm-hmm. we did all the tiny little old, t- I mean, tiny towns. And, and we'd draw five or six hundred people. I mean, it, 
it was not, I'm sure, what WWE's version of ECW should look like. Right. But um, as far as great wrestling, and I'm talking mat and uh, on the mat and using holds and making the people buy into the holds. And, sure. and I, CM Punk, I had no idea who he was. Mm. I, I didn't know him from any TV I'd ever seen. Right. I didn't know Mike Knox. I didn't know him either. Mm-hmm. And, I remember later on, you know, then Punk became the star that he that he became. And of I remember course. telling him, man, some of the best matches I ever refereed were you and Mike Knox. And he would just laugh because that was wrestling. I'll, I'll, dude, we went and we had a show at the later on. We had a show at Budokan in Japan. Okay. Always a dream of mine to just work that arena. And and Punk worked that arena. And in a, he's in a hold. And he just looked up at me and went, hey, man. We're in the Budokan. And I said, <laughs> hell yes, we are. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Good dude to me. Oh, man, that's so awesome to hear. And yes, I could talk all night and all day with you, my friend. The stories you must have in that brain. But <laughs> a couple of things more. Was there any time, I'm sure there was, but was it not as often when you had to pull out the three count and it wasn't part of the story and someone just forgot to kick out? Yes. Yes, I, I remember we were in Nice, uh, I think it's pronounced Nice, France, okay, yeah. and and it was um, a ladies' match, and they took a big bump, and I knew it wasn't the finish, okay. and I counted one, two, and I reared way back <laughs> on my counts anyway, and as, as I'm rearing back, I see that uh, she wasn't moving, huh. and I said, kick out, kick out, kick out. And as I'm coming down, she's still laying there. Oh, no. And I hit three, and it wasn't the fit. And we came to the back. Needless to say, the girls were pissed, and they were pissed at me. And I I said, I'm sorry. I, and Dean Malenko was the producer, and okay. I come to the back, and he said, uh, what happened? And I said, dude, she didn't kick out. I had to, I had to count three. I said it was going to kill the match. Mm. And he said, uh, you stand by that? I said, Hey, I'll watch the. I, we, they record every match. I said I'll watch the, the match back with you and the girls. I said that's how much I stand behind it. There you go. And he, he said okay. And and he didn't ask me to do that. Um, but we get to TV back in the United States, and the girls came to me and say, hey, "We're sorry about that." And somebody must show the, the footage. Right. And there was another time that um, we were in Japan, and it was uh, Alberto Del Rio and. God, I cannot remember who he was working with. Okay. But we were in the same building two nights in a row in Japan. And the first night, we did a one, two, three finish. The next night, I didn't even go to anybody and say, hey, what's the finish? Oh, no. I just thought we the same finish. Uh-huh. That's what we do. Okay, yeah. And we get into the match, and they had decided that it was going to be a tap out. Oh. And, and so we get into the heat, and I said, hey, is the finish the same? Is the finish the same uh, finish as last night? And Del Rio looks up at me and he goes, "Shut up, old man!" and starts laughing. And I went, "No, dude, tell me, tell me." <laughs> Nobody told me. Oh no! And they did that finish from the night before. They did it as a false finish, but I didn't know it, so I counted oh, to three. Right. And it 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 got a pop, but um, man. The boys were pissed, and that was kind of my ass because when I came back, I had to explain to the producers, 
that's that's on me and nobody else and right. and so del rio overhears me uh saying hey man if that cost me my job it cost me my job i know i screwed up i know i did that right. that's, i'm sorry and look it was on me and i take 100 responsibility but del rio came back and to me and the producer no scotty asked me straight up what's the finish did you change it he said and instead of giving him the truth i screwed around with him uh-huh. and he said he said that's my fault Seriously. and uh, needless to say when we got back to the stage Vince had a word with all of us <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> what, well he should exactly right well Mr. Armstrong thank you so much for coming aboard today again it's an honor it was a pleasure if you have anything to promote that you want to put out there your socials or anything else as of right now I, I really don't um, <laughs> so I, when you said the, the memorabilia store man I got some stuff out in my garage and I thought holy shit I need to sell that stuff. I need to sell it to somebody because a couple of things like that Wrestlemania we talked about with yeah. the, the 20 the 25th anniversary edition. I've got a huge poster and I've got it um, framed. Oh. And I, I always thought, wonder what somebody would give for that. I mean, I don't, because I really don't know. I don't know what the market is for any of that stuff anymore. Oh, people want But, it, my friend. So you should start looking. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> See, hey, it's been a pleasure. I had a good time, man. Thank you. But um, yeah, uh, on uh, X or Twitter or whatever you call it, at WWE Armstrong. That's, you know what I mean? That's the only social media thing I would have. And I, I don't have the blue check mark. So if I say something on there, like 12 people see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's just how it is nowadays. I, I get it. it and it and for myself, you can find me on X and Instagram under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on X, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it definitely helps them out, it most definitely helps me out. And most importantly, rate, subscribe, review. And if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast and you like what you heard, go back and listen to other wrestling legends such as Les Thatcher, Nikita Koloff, Lash LaRue, and Dan Severin to name just a few. All right, my friend. One last question before I let you go. Shoot. Besides your family, who do you think is at the top of the wrestling family? Besides my family? Of course, because you can't put the Armstrong. That's not fair, because you're going to pick yourself. So, so. so with, To me, the Samoan dynasty, um, starting with Alpha and Sika all the way down. Right. I, I always joked in the locker room with the Usos and said they've, they have... God has not yet made a Samoan that couldn't tear the house down in any arena in the world. Good point. And, and I stand by that. That's the, without a doubt, the money drawingest family in the history of the world. I mean, right. in the history of wrestling. Uh, that family, every one of them are great at every aspect of the business. And uh, major respect for those guys, man. They're all, I appreciate what they've done for the industry and continue to do. That's awesome. On that note, he's Scott Armstrong. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.